Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Understand that no mental state is a permanent state. And don't go making permanent decisions for temporary problems. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to It Ain't Week to Speak. I want to say a big thank you to everyone for taking your time out and listening to this podcast, giving yourself permission to learn, to take away positive insights into your own life. Well, I do want to make it a promise of mine that whatever guests that I do bring onto this show, I want to make sure that they bring valuable content to help you live better grow more, learn valuable insights and wisdoms. And today's guest is going to do exactly that. His name is Osher Gunsberg. I'm sure most of you know who Osher is. He's one of Australia's most recognized media personalities and has been a guest in the living rooms of Australians for nearly two decades. From his work on Channel V in the early 2000s to seven seasons of Australian Idol, Osher was the first Aussie to host live network primetime TV in the USA on Live to Dance. Currently, Osher hosts three formats within the Bachelor franchise, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. I'm sure most of you already know that. Uh, he's also the narrator of Bondi Rescue. This year saw Osher's return to live TV where he hosted season one of the smash hit show, The Masked Singer Australia, which was also on Channel 10. Amongst a whole lot of other things from starting his own podcast to writing his own memoir to being on the board of Sane Australia, which is another mental health nonprofit doing awesome work. Osher's story goes a lot deeper than everything that you see on the surface. He's a great man who has struggled with a mental illness for quite some time. I can't wait to bring him on the show because he's going to tell you how it works for him, how medications worked for him, how it saved his life, the way he articulates his journey is second to none. And I cannot wait to bring him on because you guys are going to learn a lot from this episode. So tune in, listen to the entire podcast if you can, and please let us know what your thoughts are. But without further ado, let's welcome on to the show, Osher Gunsberg. I'm very grateful to have you on the show, Osher, and I can't wait, mate, for you to come on and share some wisdoms from your own life, your own journey, things that you've learned through your life up until now. And I guess you're probably continuing to learn and everything else as well, mate. But let's just get straight to it. How are you? I'm all right. I'm getting right into the Stoics at the moment, Sam. And um, it was Seneca who said, as long as you're alive, keep learning how to live. So by no means am I ever an expert and um, by no means do I want to end up 
you know, one of these people who's like, ah, oh, it's too late to change. It's, too, it's never too late to change. And as long as you keep yourself malleable throughout your whole life and understand that what might have served you up until today might have had some great results, might not be the right thing that you need to move forward from today. And as long as you keep that in mind and keep yourself flexible, things are a lot easier. I find you're less thrown around by change, which there's a whole lot of it in the world at the moment, a whole lot of change happening. You're not wrong there, mate. You're not wrong there. So how do I guess my question to you then on that is how do you adopt a mindset like that? Has it been something that you've trained on over the years or is it something that you were born with, mate? And I'm a big believer, exactly what you said. I mean, life's all about learning. I, I like to classify myself as a student of life. So I can certainly resonate with you, mate, on all of those fronts. But I'd be really keen to find out malleable is a very big word and for a lot of people people don't like to change why is that such a an important part of your life and how you do things in life sam for me it all comes back to acceptance man it all comes back to acceptance now you asked me how i learned this well i was kind of dragged kicking and screaming into this awareness i've been sober just over 10 years now and it was in the process of getting sober that i had to really explore what were the things that I was drinking at? What was I using alcohol to avoid? Because I was using alcohol as a way, basically as a socially acceptable, publicly available, self-administered depressant that a lot of people use to help them manage a wide variety of mental health issues. Now, unfortunately for me, the dosage that I needed just became just way too much. What I needed to drink in order to feel at all normal or accepted or calm or safe just became utterly unsustainable and I wasn't able to stop it and it just kept going. So I had to stop because I was not well. What happens then though is you then you've got to deal with all the stuff that you were drinking away and drinking at. And it was in that that I learned, number one, you've got to accept it. You've got to accept that, oh, okay, I can't do that anymore. And when you are in acceptance and when you're in acceptance of the things you can't control, it's this weird counterintuitive thing, Sam, as it gives you that locus of control, the sense of power that you have over your life becomes far more internal, okay? Because if I am relying on if it's not a sunny day tomorrow, it's going to be shit, all right? Who's got control over the weather? I mean, humans after 200 years of burning fossil fuels, but who's got control over the weather? No individual person. You are putting whether your day is going to be good or not, in the hands of something utterly out of your control. So therefore, you have no control if your day is good or not, all right? If I don't get this job, or if this person doesn't like me, if this person doesn't want to go on a second date with me, everything will be terrible. You are putting your happiness, your sense of agency, your sense of control over a situation completely in the hands of something else, another person, all right? You're like a ping pong ball in a room full of mousetraps. Like, you've got no control and you'll be bounced everywhere because you are relying on external factors to make you feel good or bad. But if you accept, if you sit in acceptance and go, okay, so it's raining today. I'd prefer it if it didn't rain, but I can't stop it. Okay, how am I going to get about and do the thing that I was going to do anyway with the rain? Take an umbrella, wear a raincoat, put on some galoshes, have the best marathon ever. Whatever it is you're doing, I don't know, right? Or this person doesn't want to see me for a second date. Okay, how can I reframe that? Well, that's good information. I guess they're not that into me. Do I want to be with someone that's not that into me? No. Brilliant. 
So if you take that sense of control over the, over the situation within yourself, if you bring that locus of control internally, you have a far more stable day because you're not allowing external factors to just ping you all over the place. And right now, we need a lot of that. Unfortunately, we need a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, it, it helps you bring a lot of peace into your life, I think, if you look at it in that perspective as well. I mean, I put up a post not so long ago about not stressing about things outside of your control. And, you know, I'm the first person to admit I say that and, and it's something that I've learned wholeheartedly and I work on day in and day out and I still find myself stressing about things out of my control being on an airplane wondering far out fuck it this turbulence is the plane gonna go down like that's out of my control I can't jump in the cockpit and start driving you know so what you're telling me is all very positive and it's great to look at different perspectives because I understand all that but how can you teach someone that how do you think you can encourage someone to actually explore that area of their own self because everyone's got the skills I believe to do that but some people just don't do that as a first reaction to a situation that is out of their control for example does a girl like me yes no is it something about me am I overthinking which can lead people down down different roads you know and I think for the grand scheme of things and for the grand scheme of the people that are probably listening right now it's very easier said than done I feel like it's a very hard thing to conquer and again I'm living proof of that look Sam it's like anything You have to work at it. Good physical health doesn't come by accident. You're a man that keeps in shape. You watch what you eat. You train as often as you can. You're careful about how much sleep and recovery you get. You are aware of the things you're putting into your body because you understand that those things might affect your physical health. Similarly, you don't accidentally have good mental health. It's something you've got to work at, all right? You've got to work at getting a good amount of sleep. You've got to work at having good human-to-human connections. You've got to work at, am I feeding my brain junk food? Am I spending a lot of time just scrolling through my phone, looking at algorithmic news that's designed to make me feel agitated, upset, and afraid, so I just keep looking, looking for something that will make me feel safe? Are you feeding your brain junk food, and what is that doing to the rest of your mental health? It doesn't happen by accident. You have to work at it. So I'd say in those moments, say, for example, turbulence is a great idea, there's two things that are happening there. You're noticing the plane shaking around and then you're noticing this feeling inside your body. So straight away, the quickest way to learn this stuff is put the words, I'm noticing and then fill in the blanks. I'm noticing the plane's shaking around. I'm noticing that I feel, what's the physical symptom? I'm noticing I feel a tightness in my stomach. I'm noticing my throat's a little weird. I'm noticing I'm feeling fear. I am not afraid. I'm feeling fear. When you have a sore throat, Sam, you're not a sore throat. You feel you've got a sore throat. When you have a runny nose, you're not a runny nose. This runny nose is a part of me, but it's not all of me. Similarly, it's just a physical symptom. Oh, I'm noticing that my stomach's a little tight. I'm noticing my throat's a little tight. I'm noticing my breath's a little quicker. I'm noticing that I can hear my heartbeat in my ears. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And then start to challenge, start to unpack it. What's going on here? Why is this happening? So I'm a cyclist, so I ride sometimes on the road at a very different speed to a lot of cars. So I notice a lot of things. And so some of the things I'll see sometimes, and I'll see a, you know, a set of skid marks, and then about 10 metres further up the road, I'll see a, a bent-over stop sign or a, a no-standing sign I'm like, or whatever. And I try to reverse engineer, okay, what's happened here? Do you do the same thing with your thoughts, all right? Okay, so why am I, what's happening here? Oh, okay, why is that? Oh, the, the plane's shaking around. All right, then, what am I, I'm afraid that it's going to be a cataclysmic ending. Okay, then. Now, what evidence do I have that it's going to be? Am I projecting that? Yep. Can I tell the future? No. All right, look around. Let me see some evidence. Is it justified that I'm feeling this way? Nobody else in the cockpit's feeling weird? What do the people that work here do? 
looking up at the the cabin crew. No, they're cool. All right. They do this all day, every day for years. So if they're cool, then it should be all right. All right, then. The thing to remember is that thoughts and feelings, they're not facts. Okay. Feelings aren't facts. So just because you feel it doesn't mean it's real. It's a leftover survival mechanism from when we were, you know, trying to survive out in the, the plains of Africa, you know, and a, a rustly bush meant some sort of giant beastly animal will come and eat us, right? The reason we survived this far, we were the jumpiest, most frightened, most afraid, most hypervigilant versions of humans. That's how we survived this long. The ones that were like, doopy doopy doo, I'm cool, life is great. Vroom got eaten by stuff. We didn't get eaten by stuff because we learned how to run. We just have to live with that. It's a genetic hangover. So just challenge it. And look, if you see the cabin crew shitting their pants, if you see people around you weeping in fear, maybe, just maybe, your feeling is justified. But I'm going to let you know, 999,000 times out of a million, that won't be the case. And you just have to go, okay, and here's the trick. This is the key. Am I willing to be with how uncomfortable this is? I'm not asking you to just tough it out, grit your teeth. Yeah, it's uncomfortable being in turbulence. I don't like being in turbulence. It sucked. It's weird. It's a feel of uncertainty. Am I willing to be with this uncertainty for the next hour or so till we land? Yeah, I can do an hour. I can do an hour. This will be all right. I trust that it's going to be okay. The evidence shows that it will be okay. Am I willing to be with this discomfort for an hour? Yes, I'm willing to be with this discomfort for only an hour. And that's it. You just have to be willing to be with the discomfort and understand that it's only for a short amount of time. And then before you know it, the next time it happens, it's a little easier. The next time it happens, it's a little easier. As long as you're willing to be with the discomfort, that's the key. What I'm hearing you say, Osher, is it's almost like you've got to become a friend with it. It's normal almost to feel this way. Let me ask you this then. So if we're talking about things where we can or cannot justify them and then we look at our rational thoughts, then we unpack them and we think, okay, maybe this is fear kicking in. They are thoughts. Let them float by like clouds and all that stuff that we, some of us train in between. When you were going down the rabbit hole in your life, what you're saying is you probably didn't have those skills at that stage to know how to deal with them. Is that what you're saying? No, quite the opposite. I most definitely had those skills. I had already started my journey of sobriety, so I most definitely had these skills, and I definitely knew what to do. The thing was that my brain wasn't working properly. So as much as I wanted to be in acceptance, as much as I wanted to rationalize, as much as I wanted to have a rational and normal and sane look at the world, the switches in my brain were all stuck to terror, all stuck to fear, all stuck to cataclysm, and there was nothing that could move them. No amount of evidence, nothing would change it. And that's where I needed, for me, I needed medication to loosen those switches up and once I got on the right amount and the right combination of medication, then those switches started to move and I started to be able to train my brain to move in different ways. And instead of going straight to cataclysm to start to move in a, in a different path, it's like trying to carve a line in sandstone with a matchstick, all right? You just have to keep your practice, 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 and soon enough, that pathway becomes clearer. The first time, it's really tough. The second time, it's easier. The third time, it's easier. The fourth time, it's easier. And then, you know, by the time you've done it 100, 200, 300 times, that becomes your automatic thought. Your automatic thought becomes the pathway around the fear. But it, you've got to work at it 
You got to work at it. Yeah, it doesn't just happen. And that's where meds really helps. I was off meds for a long time and I got back on meds right before our, our baby was born. We have two kids and right before the newest one, I had to get back on meds. And um, being back on meds this time around, mate, I am like a US Postal Service cyclist in the height of the doping era, just smashing it up the mountain stages, right? I'm using these meds like a cyclist would use EPO and HDH. You know, I am on the gear and I am winning the Tour de France of mental health. I'm doing the really hard thinking work because like you can be on all those drugs. You've still got to ride up. Alpe d'Huez on the Tour de France, it's like it's a thousand meter climb. It's straight up over 17 k's. It's a lot. It's hard. And you do that after 200 kilometers of riding and you can still lose by that much. It's horrible. But you don't win it unless you pedal really hard and work really hard and get past all the people with the marine flares and the shouting and the screaming and stuff like that. You can, you can tell I'm a cyclist. I like cycling. But everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? You can be on all the performance-enhancing drugs you like, but you've still got to grit your teeth and pedal hard as hard as anything up that mountain to win. So right now, I'm on these meds, and they're actually the kind of meds I haven't been on before, and they're you know the side effect profile is a lot lower than ones that I was on earlier, and that's nice. But you still got to do the work, and it's still hard, and I'm still scared, and it's still rough, and it still sucks. But it makes it easier. It loosens the switches, so it allows me to start riding those new neural pathways way, way better than I could if I was not on the meds, because my brain sometimes doesn't work quite well when it comes to writing those new neural pathways. So being on these meds, man, you can bet that I am working hard and I am pedaling hard up that mountain to make sure that when it comes time to come off these meds, those neural pathways will be there and those new automatic thoughts will be drilled in and I will have a new way of operating. But you've got to do the work, man. You can't do that if you're not on the gear, all right? So this is what I'm doing. I'm on the gear and I'm working real hard but you've got to if you want to have a result. I'm very fascinated by the way you've just explained that because I haven't really spoken too much around this aspect of a person's journey around, certainly around the stigma and help seeking and all that sort of stuff we do touch on. And I'm gonna, I want to ask you some questions in a moment about that. However, from a medication perspective, there's a lot of stigma around mental health, especially when we talk about medications and what does work, what doesn't work. You mentioned earlier that you're a massive believer in this, you know, the medication that works for you. You're still going to work really hard to empower your brain to make those continuous habits in your life so they're engraved. So when you are stepping down from the medication at some point in your life, if you do, those neural pathways are there. You carry on with your life, you're thriving sort of thing. But for those people who give up early and don't believe meds work, what can we teach them, mate? What can we tell them? I got offered meds in 1999. I was 25 years old. I got offered meds and I didn't want to be someone that needed pills to get by. So I made the brilliant decision that so many Australian men have made before. I'm going to manage my anxiety with alcohol. And that did not end well. It worked for a little while and then it, and then it didn't in a really bad way. So I was first offered antidepressants in, in 1999. Then again in 2005 when I was diagnosed with social phobia, I didn't want them again. But it wasn't until I had my proper first real panic attack. I was running in the soft sand along Bondi Beach and I felt like someone was grabbing my throat. There was nobody there. I was running in the soft sand. I was doing laps and I felt pressure on the outside of my throat like someone was actually holding me around around my throat. 
And I was like, fuck. And I ran, I ran straight home, got on the phone. Thankfully, my doctor was able to see me and I went and saw him in about two hours. I was able to see my doctor. From then, I, I got on antidepressants. And look, they really work, all right? They really, really work, but you have to put the work in. When I got really sick, I needed a bunch of stuff. I needed antipsychotics. I was on two kinds of antipsychotics. I was on an SSRI and an amino ketone. So I'd take four different kinds of meds every day. At first, it was really good because all the horrible thoughts, the suicidal ideation, all the pain, all the intrusive thoughts, the stuff that would send a horrible fear through my body, that all stopped. You'll do warnings at the top and tail of this, won't you? And you'll put out call numbers. and Mate, of course. Yeah, of course. Particularly for what I'm about to talk about. It's, it's really important. You right? heard them, guys. If anyone needs help or wants to tune out of this and becomes a bit overwhelmed, get help section on the living.org website. I will supply that in the show notes too for you guys. Yeah, and if you're worried about getting help, just try and imagine that you've broken your femur. Someone says, mate, you should really go see a doctor about that. And you go, ah, nah, she'll be right. No, you're going to go and get a cast on your leg. So if, you're, if you've got a brain that's broken, go get it sorted out. Don't just soldier on because it doesn't work. Anyway, if you can imagine the very first time, you might have been a young man. You might have been in your, in your teens. You might have been in your early 20s. You might have not quite had that much literacy about on the internet. And you accidentally clicked on a link. And that link took you to a video of a man on his knees in an orange jumpsuit surrounded by blokes in ski masks with a black flag hanging behind them. And before you know it, you've accidentally watched your first beheading video. That horrible feeling that filled your body. Or the first time you saw a dash cam video of someone getting killed horribly, all right? We've all seen these videos on the internet. And it's awful. It's fucking terrible that these things exist. But they do. And we all remember the feeling that our body felt the first time we saw that. It's horrible. Flashes in your head all day. You're like, I can't believe I've just seen this. Imagine that sense of dread and horror that flashes through your body every 8 to 10 seconds, all right? That is what the thoughts were like. That is what it was like for me all day long. And there was no escape because it was within my body. I couldn't run away from it. No matter what I did, it would not leave me. I was just constantly being hit by these things. And it was awful. It was awful. And I started to think about ways out. They were permanent ways. But at that point, it was like, that will be great because I'll finally be able to have all this stop. And at that point, I'm like, hang on a second. What am I thinking? But that was the best solution I could come up with. To make all these thoughts stop, that was the best solution I could come up with. So I went to go see my doctor and say, listen, man, I can't really do my job. And my job is not hard, Sam. I count flowers. All right. So it's not really. <laughs> I said, these thoughts, they won't leave me. And nothing I do makes them go away. No amount of breathing, no amount of rationalizing, no amount of reframing, nothing's stopping these things. And so he gave me these drugs, these antipsychotics. And, mate, they work. They really work. And... It was amazing because finally I had peace. Oh, thank God. It just like a light switch turned it off. And at first, the benefits were far better than the side effects. I just didn't care about the weight gain or the sexual side effects. I didn't care. All I wanted was to not feel this way every eight seconds, every 10, 12 seconds. I just couldn't stand living life like this. A couple months in, I've been putting on a kilo a week. Um, I'm trying to date the woman that's now my wife. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Not interested in sex at all. Um, I've been doing a lot of hard work trying to work around what's going on in my head. And I'm like, okay, then right, how much good is it for me versus what is it doing to me? So it's always going to be a conversation between you, the people you love, and your doctor about what are we doing around benefits and side effects, all right? And how are we looking at managing how this can look in a long-term situation? Now, I was very lucky in that I was someone who was able to get off these kind of medications. There are people who live their life and will live their life for the rest of their life on these meds. So be very careful. When you look at someone who's carrying an extra 10, 20 kilos, don't look at them and go, shit, man, I can get to the gym. What's wrong with you? I was riding 200 Ks a week, 250 Ks a week. I was near you. I was riding up to Panga Canyon every day. I've still got all the Strava stuff. Like I'm riding my bicycle every single day. I'm doing 60 Ks, 30 of that up a mountain every day. And I'm still putting on weight. I was running out of clothes. And I'm vegan, man. I'm like sober and vegan. So I'm not eating shit food. I'm eating just vegetables and I'm still putting on fat. And so that can be really disheartening. But the trick is getting the dosages right. And the trick is getting the kinds of medications right. It doesn't just kick in in 20 minutes. Some of these things take six weeks to work. You have to be prepared to stick it out. But I'm here to tell you, if you get the right psychiatrist, you just want it to be better and you're willing to do the work, you will find the right dosages. You will. You will. You just have to be prepared to do it. And it took a long time for us, you know, and then I had to get off everything because I had to let my body clear out before I got back on another kind of drug. That week was tough. Um, but, uh, you know, we did eventually find the right kinds of medications that allowed me to make a lot of big changes. And, and I was able to get off those meds for about a year and a half. And then, like I said, Wolfie was about eight weeks away from, from arriving when my wife just took one look at me and she goes, you are not coping. And I knew it. I bloody knew it. The thoughts were coming back and I didn't want to admit it. She saw through it. She saw me walking around with my teeth grit, you know, with my fists clenched. 
she's seeing me, you know, like being really weird and, and barking at Georgia, who's our eldest, and being a, just a weird, weird person. She's like, I need you around, man. You can't be like this. Go see a doctor. Get back on meds. And the thing is that when I'm in it, I can't see it. All right. I'm just having a bad day. She's like, you've had 27 bad days in a row. Something's not right. Go see a doctor. Thankfully, I trust her. I trust her healthy brain over my brain that doesn't function very well sometimes. I'm like, all right. I went to go see my doctor and say, hey, man, this is what's going on. This is what Audrey said. He goes, yeah, I get it. Look at you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, man, what do you got? And we talked about a new drug that I could get on. And so now I'm on this new drug on a fairly low dosage. We do have room to move if we need, which is good. I've gone up and down on dosages in the past. And that's the thing, you know, just understand that this is the brain I've got. This is what I've got. How can I now live my life, take responsibility for what I've got and live my life so that I can be of most value to the people around me, all right? Because if I don't take responsibility for it, my presence, my mere presence will be a crappy thing to be around and I won't be good as a human being to be nearby and people won't want to be near me because I'm barking and weird and anxious and cranky and, you know, then I isolate myself even more and then that becomes a horrible spiral. And we all know how that ends up. So that's what I would say about medication. That is, it's not you take one thing and it all goes away. Though I did have one doctor, he said to me, hey, man, look, I can make all those thoughts go away. I can make it all that stop. You put on 50 pounds, but I can make it all stop tomorrow. I'm like, man, I've got to go back and shoot the third season of The Bachelor. I've got suits I need to get into. So we had to figure out a way to get around it, which was tough. That's a long answer to your med question. I hope I answered it. Mate, it's amazing. But first, I want to say a big shout out to your wife, Audrey. As you said, it's really important. Sometimes people can see a lot clearer and understand a lot clearer from the outside looking in. It always helps when you've got someone who looks out for you on the outside that knows you really well, you know. So big love and big gratitude to your wife, Audrey, mate. Yeah. Trusting that they can see things you can't because trying to think about whether or not you need to be on medication, using a brain that needs medication is almost impossible because your ego gets in the way and your your brain tries to whizzle its way out of it. Like, you don't need this, you don't need that. Da, 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 da. And so you keep trying to talk your way out of needing these things. Again, it's about this is the brain I've got, all right? I was born this way. I probably didn't help it with the amount of things that I snorted and shoved down my throat when I was partying. I was going to end up this way anyway, but I think I hit the accelerator. But this is where I am. You know, I have to take responsibility for the things that I did to accelerate my path. And this is what I got. So take responsibility for it. If I had a car, right, and I was about to put you and your girlfriend and my wife and my kids in this car and we were going to drive to Canberra, if I had a front right wheel that wasn't attached properly, I wouldn't dare put any of you into the car and drive at 110 k's for three hours. Yet, why would I do the same thing? Why would I put my family at risk, my friends at risk? Why would I do that when part of my body isn't working properly? There's ways to fix these things. There's plenty of great therapists. There's plenty of great psychiatrists. There's plenty of great medication options. There's plenty of great management techniques. All right, take responsibility for it. Wait a second. We can't get going yet. I've got to go get the jack out of the car. Got to go tighten this tire up. Similarly, you just got to take responsibility for it. And then once you take responsibility for it, you're like, okay, now I feel powerful. Like I'm a man. Like I feel I can get into action. I can do something. I'm in control now rather than, oh, fucking everything's all over the place. Get me more vodka. <laughs> Rather than yeah. it being in control of you, it's almost like taking that power back. And, and from what I'm hearing you say is we are all on our own journey. No one's on the exact journey. I can't compare your help-seeking behaviors and what's worked for you to me and expect it to work exactly like that to me or to three people I know who have similar symptoms to you. 
or have done similar things in the past. I mean, everyone's on their own journey and some people might benefit from medication, some people won't. But I can say right now, Osher, as I'm sure you can, with the hand of my heart, with the right help and the right support, everyone can get back on track and start living a really, really good life again. Do you agree with that, mate? Obviously, there are people that do struggle with complex mental illness and people who do struggle quite a bit and for their whole life, they will struggle. And that sucks. And there is a lot of help and there are ways to try and live the most valuable life you can for you and for those around you, even if you do have a very tricky diagnosis. And some people do have a very tricky diagnosis and that is no fault of theirs. It just happens and it sucks. I'm going to agree with you that it sucks, but there are some pretty powerful strategies. There's some great medication and some great therapies and some great things that we can all work together on improving to make sure that your quality of life can be as well as it possibly can and you can feel valuable and valued. It is a very complex space that we're talking in. I'm not a mental health professional by any means. I'm just a student of life. I've learned firsthand the experience of a mental illness, as as of you have. And um, there's over 300 diagnosable mental illnesses. They are very complex. And for anyone that's listening that hasn't found the right help and hasn't found the right support, what I do urge people, and, I, and I'm sure you'd probably agree with me as well, mate, is keep going. Persistence beats resistance. And don't be afraid to ask for help if you can't do it alone, because you're not expected to do this all alone. It's important to accept vulnerability and to reach out for help when you need it, because it's important. It could save your life. One of my bicycles has a busted back wheel. It keeps breaking. I keep changing the tube. It keeps busting on me. Every time I try to ride my bicycle down to go and train, the bloody thing keeps popping and it shits me. I'm like, okay, I have tried to fix this thing five times by myself. I'm now going to take it to the bike shop. It looks like a simple fix clearly isn't why would your body be any different how has what i've been doing worked out for me all right what's my best ideas got me all right that's an important question to ask yourself how far has my best thinking got me for me my very best thinking my very best ideas the smartest i could possibly be what i thought was the most smart clever thing to do left me unemployed divorced renting an apartment paying rent out of my savings in a foreign country all right that was me being the smartest i could be at that point i had to be like all right, I might have to listen to somebody else because I was all out of ideas. So have the humility to understand that you might not actually have the best ideas about your own situation and that with the right amount of empathy and conversation with somebody you trust, they might be able to offer you some guidance that can help you get out of something you may not realize that you're trapped in. I can't reiterate it enough how important speaking up and asking for help is and and again it all probably comes back to your notion Osher, of accepting and taking full responsibility that you don't have the answers for everything and it's okay to put your hand up and and ask for help and get experts opinion you know when we're talking about you know your experience in the entertainment space obviously it spans over a couple of decades at least did that have anything to do with this i was very grateful and I remain very grateful for when I got really sick, I pretty much went straight to my boss. I said to him, look, this is what's going on. I disclosed as much as I needed to, but I let him know enough to know that things are not normal and I am not doing well. And this is what I'm doing with my doctor. I'm taking medication. These are my management strategies. This is what I need to do. Here's my first aid plan if something goes wrong. And I was grateful that I was still able to, when the camera was on, I was able to deliver. And so what they were able to do was go, okay, so he's come to us, he's told us what's going on, he's got a management strategy in place, therefore it's not our responsibility to fix it. We know it's happening, we can give him a bit of latitude if he needs it, but he seems to be 
what's happening is working. And they gave me a lot of support around that. And I have to be very, very grateful both for Network 10 and Warner Brothers because they all knew. You know, I was able to disclose to them and I had a trusted relationship with those people. And that was very, very helpful that I had their support around it all. But look, I work in the arts. I work in entertainment. You know, it's a very attractive place for people who have brains that think in different directions to work because in my experience, the levels of creativity required to... um exist in this kind of space that creativity cannot always be put in a positive way my brain is very very creative you can think tangentially in extremely brilliant directions sometimes but when it gets a negative thought in there it can equally run all the way to the horizon so i was really grateful that work was super supportive around all that too yeah yeah right so the importance of having a work culture that accepts struggles like this is a really important factor for you moving forward in your life and and people that you work with yeah But it was really important that at the same time that I communicated what was going on, I let them know what I was doing about it. I would only ever disclose if I thought it was safe and I wouldn't want anyone to disclose if I didn't think they were safe. If you do disclose, I would encourage you to disclose your management strategy at the same time. Because what that does is it does not make it that person's responsibility to fix you or to do anything about it. It's just letting them know. And it also gives you a great sense of power because you're also then accountable because you're like, okay, this is what's going on. Like say, for example, if you got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, Sam, I'm really grateful you made pancakes for me. I've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, so I can't have them. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to have this at breakfast, then I'm going to check my blood and then I'm going to see if I need to do anything around that. Boom. Disclosure and the what I'm doing about it is no longer your problem, but you're just letting them know why I'm a little, things are a little different right now. So that's what I would do. Yeah, right. You articulate things very well, mate. I'll tell you that right now. I'm sure you've been told that many times before. What was your involvement, mate? I have to ask. Sane Australia, an amazing organization in the mental health space. Yeah. What was your involvement with those guys, mate? I sat on the board of directors for Sane Australia for three years. I'm now a patron of Sane Australia. I stepped down from the board last year. Gratefully, I got just way too busy. Things were going really well in my career to a point where I couldn't dedicate the right amount of time that I believed the job needed. And then, you know, they had an opportunity to put someone else on the board that would be able to dedicate the right amount of time. When I first started, I had a bit more time to dedicate to it. They're um, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, mental health charities in Australia. And they work very, very hard to improve outcomes for um, people affected by complex mental illness, which is, when you come down to it, it's about one in five Australians. So that's a lot of people. There's a lot of people affected by complex mental illness. And there's so many great organisations in this space. It all just goes to show the amount of teamwork that's involved in helping people get to a place where they can live fruitfully and at least help them manage their mental health challenges or their complex mental health challenges. And it's really important on that level too, mate, just to touch on that. Let me ask you though, let's digress a little bit away from this direct discussion. Let's talk quickly about this bachelor, mate. I've got so many questions I want to ask in regards to the roses and all that. Like I actually don't watch it. My girlfriend loves it. Sure, sure you don't watch it, mate. Sure you don't watch it. That's what they all say. I get roped in every now and then and Yeah, like, what's the hardest part about that job as a host for yourself, mate? The hardest part of working on a show like The Bachelor is I'm the one that has to break a handsome young man or a beautiful young woman's heart and let them know this particular person isn't right into you. If you'd be so kind, could you go home now? That's really hard. And people always ask me, why do I whisper? I'm whispering because I'm talking to a human being and I have empathy, particularly in the later stages of the show. There's real, real, real feelings going on and people really, really are quite sad that it's over. And 
that's really tough for me because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm the one that goes in and does it. I think I've dumped more people on television than... It's funny, when we do Bachelor in Paradise, I'm like, well, you all have one thing in common. I have personally dumped every one of you on national television. <laughs> oh, they'd be after you. Obviously, you get highlights of it and, and you get good upsides as well to the show. Oh, yeah, look, I met my wife on The Bachelor. I would not have the life I have right now had I not met her. And uh, she was introduced to me by a, a mutual friend, which I'm really very, very grateful for. What I really enjoy about working on this show is watching the journey that other men take. All right. So on The Bachelorette, it's a little more difficult because I'm not so nuanced on the micro expressions and the, the nuances of female communication as I am with male communication. But when it comes to watching the journey of the men, they're hot. They've got a rig for days. They've got their own business. They're firing. Everything's amazing. They've traveled the world, and yet they're still single. So something's going on, something there. And I get to watch these men go on this journey. (laughs) It's such a reality show word. Go on this journey where they discover, oh, that's what it is. And they have this revelation, this revelatory moment. And then I watch them fall in love before my eyes. And it's a really beautiful thing to watch another man understand that that vulnerability, that ability to connect, that ability to commit to one person, it isn't a hindrance. It is incredible. And when you look at the men that have been on our show and the relationships that have succeeded, every one of those guys, and this is how I feel the same way. When you find the right partner, it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals five. It just multiplies what both of you are able to do and able to achieve so much more and um it's a real pleasure to watch those men have that experience that's a very nice way to look at it mate i mean i'm just saying it from the outside looking in i've never obviously done it and i don't know a great deal about it but you hear people say oh people are just doing it for 15 minutes of fame and all this sort of stuff trying to be on the bachelor and the bachelorette but you know when you get the roses right and you come out and there's only so many roses and he calls people out who's staying and who's leaving sort of thing is it the directors are like, these guys are great TV, we need to keep them on there? Like, Give me some background goss, mate. Mate, we just film it. Really? The choices you see are the choices they make. Yeah, well. And their reasons are their reasons. You're going to have to ask them. That's fair enough, mate. That's fair enough. Out of, out of all of those shows, though, which one's your favourite? I, oh, goodness. What are you saying all those shows? Are you, talking, are you talking reality shows? What about your little Survivor sting there, mate? I saw that. Oh, fuck, Survivor. <laughs> Survivor's probably the greatest reality television format ever made. As far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest game that humans have ever come up with. We've come up with soccer. We've come up with NFL. We've come up with chess. We've come up with Scrabble. I think it's the greatest game that we've ever come up with. It takes all the diplomacy and back-channel ability to communicate that like a high-level G20 climate conference would take. It's like the hardest CrossFit class you've ever taken. It's like camping with Bear grills for 55 days in a row all at once. It's extraordinary. And watching how it works and watching the way the human beings are towards each other is really fascinating. The strategizing, the honestly, for me, I got a chance to host the finale of Survivor this year because of the COVID pandemic. So I got to go there as a fan and go, oh, right. So tell me, did you? And there was a bunch of stuff that didn't make the cut because I think I lifted a lid on a few too many things. I'm like, right, you got to tell me. And it was freaking amazing. I love that. It's such a great show. If you're not into Survivor, I would say watch 
I think it's season 14 of the American one, Micronesia. It's probably the greatest season of Survivor just because of how it ends. The last five, mind-blowing. It is an amazing game, mate. I'm very grateful to have done it. I'd do it again too. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, mate. I'll tell you that right now. But yeah, it's interesting to see your take on it, mate. It really is, given that you're involved in a few reality shows, mate. But I appreciate all of your time and all of your energy, mate. I really do appreciate you coming on the show, being very open. We could talk for hours. I feel like I've only scraped the surface on this. But before we wrap up, I do want to ask you one thing. For anyone that's listening right now that might be at a tipping point, okay, I've listened to this is an amazing episode. I've got to put my hand up and go and get help and I've, I've got to stay true to my word and take responsibility. What else could we say to these people? If they're at the very tipping point of getting help and staying quiet, what would you say to them? Just understand that no mental state is a permanent state and don't go making permanent decisions for temporary problems and understand that, yeah, it sucks right now, but in five minutes from now, the entire world will be different. It'll be a different time of day. The shadows will be different against the wall. It'll be a little bit closer to bedtime, a little closer to dinner time. Maybe the people that didn't pick up the phone might pick up the phone now. Five minutes from now will be different from right now. You can do five minutes. Do five minutes. Understand that you don't have to live the rest of your life like this. And understand that you don't have to hold the load every day. The way I got 10 years of sobriety up, all I did was just, okay, I'm just going to try and get to bed tonight without drinking. Sometimes I'll be like, all right, I'm going to try and get to lunch without drinking. I'm going to try and get to dinner without drinking. If I got to bed without drinking, with trying to cause as little harm as I possibly could to others done it perfectly and that's all i've done every day for 10 and a bit years now similarly you don't have to be with discomfort for the rest of your life no you just have to do it today it's just today because you have no idea what tomorrow brings you have no idea what an hour from now brings you can think you do but you don't have some sort of time warp machine neither do i take some responsibility take some action because it is in within that action taking that action being in action that is where the feeling of control comes back. That's where the feeling of safety comes back because you have some control over your situation. And yeah, be really aware. Even though your brain will try and tell you that things are either personal, they're permanent, and they're global. It'll try to tell you that this is happening just to me because I've done something or it's only happening to me. This is how it's going to be forever. And this is affecting everything in my life. If you can challenge those three things and just understand, well, no, this is happening to other people. And no... This isn't how life's going to be forever. And no, actually, this part of my life is actually doing all right. It's not global. The very nature of the universe is change. Every single atom in this room is constantly changing. And that's it. And everything's just trying to come to balance. Right now, we're a bit out of balance. It's okay. We can find balance. But it is within taking action and taking responsibility and taking control over the situation that you will find that balance and you will end up... Feeling that sense of value and that sense of safety within that action and within that control that you get back over yourself. The way you articulate things is is admirable, mate. I'll tell you that right now. Thank you very much, mate. So much love, so much respect. Thank you very much for sharing everything with us, mate. You're a great man doing great things. Keep inspiring, mate. Keep infecting that great attitude and that great outlook and that great mindset on people, mate, because people need it now more than ever, I believe. Yeah, I've got all the respect in the world, mate. I'm so grateful that you're able to come onto the podcast on you know, such short notice and forever grateful, mate. I really am. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And You got it, man. Just watch out for those Hollywood shysters and 
whatever you're doing, make sure you're creating something at the same time. All the best, mate. Thanks so much. Much love. Take care. Look after yourself. See eh? you, brother. Bye, mate. Bye. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a top day. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.